all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Tuning in, you're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today, we're going to be talking about healthy cooking. So we're going to go over some of my tips for uh, lightening the fat and calories in some of your favorite meals and just general healthy cooking tips in um, in general. If you have a cooking tip, I would love to hear that. Or if you have a question for us, you can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 672 7464. You can email us fit at mpbonline.org or you can go over to Facebook to Healthy Habits with Josie and I have a thread going there asking um, what you would like to know about healthy cooking and eating or if you have a healthy cooking or eating tip to share with us. So the first one we're going to Tackle actually came in through Facebook this morning, uh, and someone declared it the best question ever, so I will see if I can do it some justice, and it asks what the best cooking oil is or the healthiest cooking oil is for um, frying uh, because olive oil doesn't seem to um, stand up well or last, uh, last as long as they would like. So it's a bit of a loaded question and probably one that is going to not earn me a lot of friends, but we've got to think about whether something needs to be deep fried at all. Um, you know, regardless of what oil or fat that we're using, deep frying where we submerge an item in a large amount of fat is not going to be a, a healthy cooking technique in general. Now, uh, people like to throw around the word moderation. Uh, it's important that we think about what, what moderation really means. Um, if, when we're talking about frying and in particular deep frying, moderation is going to be very sparingly, you know, maybe uh, one to two times a month that we do something uh, deep fried like that. Uh, whereas some people might define moderation as only once a day, but we've really got to work on, on cutting that back because regardless of which oil we choose, right, any oil is 120 calories per tablespoon. And it takes a whole heck of a lot more than one tablespoon to, to deep fat fry. And of course, you're not consuming all of that oil. But depending on what you're cooking, what the breading is like, and the temperature that you're frying in, uh, that food is going to absorb 
um, some of that fat as well as cooking at really high temperatures like that can actually cause some harmful compounds to develop in the in the different oils and those kinds of things. So if it's something that doesn't have to be deep fried, then we can look at pan frying it or shallow fry where there's just a little bit of oil in the pan or sauteing. Um, for those, you want to pick an oil, if you're going to use an oil, that's got a kind of a high smoke point, meaning it's not going to burn at a high temperature. That's why butter is not a good choice for um, frying because of the, the milk solids in butter are going to burn and oxidize. Um, some of the oils that are best for frying in terms of stability of the product are ones that we don't really want to be using. That's more your coconut oil, your lard, that kind of stuff, the ones that are solid at room temperature. But those are very, very high in saturated fats, which are not great for our heart health. So when we're choosing an oil to use, we really want to try and pick one that's got less than four grams of saturated fat. Um, per tablespoon. And so that's going to be more of your liquid oils, like your canola oil, uh, your olive oil, your avocado, those kinds of things. And really, I lean more toward the olive and the avocado. And some of those other oils um, have a little bit more polyunsaturated fats in them, which can oxidize into some not so great compounds at higher temperatures. Uh, so deep fat, fat deep Fat frying, probably not something we want to do on the regular. Uh, shallow pan fry, um, you know, maybe once a week or so is not the end of the world. But we've, we've got some more exciting techniques that we can use when we want to get foods crispy, um, when we want to um, saute foods, those kinds of things. So if we're trying to get something crispy, then uh, an air fryer is just my absolute favorite kind of piece of kitchen equipment uh, to, to use. I know kitchen equipment can get bulky on the countertop, and there's lots of appliances out there that we may not uh, use very frequently. And so we've bought them and they're taking up space in our cabinets or on our counter and we're not using them. Um, but if you enjoy getting foods crispy and, you know, we're a big heavy fry user, uh, then a air fryer is something that you probably would use, um, much more frequently. I use my air fryer probably every day, uh, maybe maybe not every day, but most days, um, for some reason, I do my baked potatoes in there. Um, I do a lot of my vegetables that I would normally roast in there. Um, you know, my kids are not uh, plant-based, so if I'm fixing uh, maybe some breaded chicken for them or something like that, then I would do it in the air fryer as well, and, and they don't they don't balk from that. They, they, they don't even know actually. So that's a, a testament to how well that is. And then water sauteing, if we're just trying to kind of move things around the, the pan to keep them from sticking. Uh, and when I say water, I mean water or stock or a little bit of wine, something like that to add to the pan um, to keep things from sticking. And the way I usually start that is just putting a tablespoon or two of 
um, liquid in the pan. I usually do a stock because I'm trying to get a little bit more flavor in there. And then put whatever I'm trying to saute, you know, onions or garlic or peppers, something like that in there. And it's really just keeping them from sticking to the pan. And that's a great way to cut out extra calories and fat that you really don't, you're really not going to miss, right? Um, vegetables are very, very low in calorie and low in fat, but when we use a lot of fat to cook them in, um, then we can quickly turn a very low calorie side item, um, or main item into something that's got a whole lot more calories than we anticipated, especially if we keep that in mind that a tablespoon of oil or butter has 14 grams of fat in it, um, and 120 calories. That's a lot. Uh, and so, you know, the first thing I look at when I look at a recipe is how much oil it calls for. And if it's a vegetable dish and it says two tablespoons of oil, I just think, oh gosh, you know, that's, a, that's almost 30 grams of fat that I just dumped in that particular um, uh, recipe that it, that it didn't need. You know, I would save my oils more for a, a finishing something like in a dressing or drizzled over the top of something where I'm going to actually appreciate that flavor uh, and not necessarily add it uh, to the, the cooking method if it, if it doesn't matter, right? Make those calories count there. Kevin, I think you got an air fryer, right? Uh, yes, I do. I, I, I use it a lot. It, I, as you said, uh, it's especially good for uh, roasting uh, vegetables. I think that's how I use mine more than anything. But uh, I, I'm the same way I've done uh, like uh, boneless chicken breasts. I think those are easy to get when you buy them from the grocery store. Just pull the bone out of there and they go well in there. Um, I've done uh, some pork chops, uh, you know, some small cut pork chops in there as well. And I think I might have said this on the air one time before when we talked about them. My one regret is that I, I wish that I had bought a size that was larger because I think the larger your basket is, the the less times you're going to have to do, you know, several batches of stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so I, you're not the only one that has told me that, you know, folks kind of thought, I'm, I'm not going to use it that much. Let me get, you know, a small one or I don't want it to take up as much room on my counter. Let me get a small one. Uh, and then they've kind of regretted it because they, they've wanted to do more. Now, one thing that uh, I do in mind, so I, the, the one I have is a multifunction piece of equipment because I, in general, I try to avoid things that have just one function in life uh, because I have a in, in the house we're in now, my kitchen is much smaller than the kitchen um, previously. And so I try and pick things that are multi-use to maximize my space. Um, but what I've been able to do is in my air fryer, it came with a uh, like a pop-up rack. And so I can put one layer on my bottom and then I can put that pop-up rack in there and put another layer um, on top and get a little bit more done that way. But one of the kind of keys to success in the air fryer is not overcrowding it um, so that all the air can get around all the bits and edges of the, your food and get them crispy on, on all those different areas there. Um, and, you know, the thing I love about it, especially with as hot as it's been, is it doesn't really heat my kitchen up when I use the air fryer. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to not cut my oven on as much right now just because it's so hot. And so being able to throw some veggies in there um, and not have to preheat the oven or anything like that is really a time saver as well. When I get home at the end of the day, I can just grab a pack of frozen veggies from um, the freezer and throw them in 
Um, you'll see a lot of air fryer recipes call for oil, uh, and you really don't you don't need it. Um, at the at the most, sometimes I will use a little. Um, like a little spray, like a little nonstick spray, like a Pam or something like that. If I'm trying to get some seasonings to stick to a vegetable that's not kind of a, a, a wet vegetable. Like when I cut my potatoes up and throw them in there, I don't add any extra oil because the wet surface of the potato, my seasonings stick to that. Um, but if you had something that was, you know, a pretty dry veg, then you might um, give it a little spritz um, to help it out there. But it really is a good... Um, a good way to drastically cut back on um, calories and fat. So whenever I am working with uh, a new patient, one of the first things that we do is a 24-hour diet recall. And so I say, tell me what you had yesterday for breakfast. And the most common things I get told are grits, eggs, bacon, toast, right? And that's one thing, but, but I usually take it a step further and I say, how do you fix those, right? So um, what's going in your grits is, you know, and some people put sugar in their grits and that has just stressed me out because uh, I, <laughs> I am not a sweet grit eater, but you know, if you enjoy that, you do you, uh, but be careful with the calories. Um, but it's usually butter as well. And then um, the eggs, and I'll usually say fried, scrambled, boiled. How are you doing those? Uh, and most frequently it's scrambled. So I'll say, what do you scramble them in? And it's usually butter. And so I get very um, drilled down into that as to how much butter we're using. Because a lot of times it's one or two tablespoons of butter or one tablespoon of butter to do the eggs and then a tablespoon of butter in the grits. And again, that's 120 calories per tablespoon, 14 grams of fat per tablespoon. That has taken a relatively low calorie item like an egg um, and corn and made them very, very high in fat and calories. And so even just cutting back by 50% or switching to a spray for, um, for cooking the scrambled eggs or switching to a boiled egg um, it are all good ways to cut back on those added fat calories there. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. listening to 
Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC, and we're talking healthy cooking tips today, and we're going to get into some healthy shopping tips as well, because we've had a couple questions that have come in about uh, shopping for healthy foods. If you have a question or a comment for us, or you have a tip that you want to share, something that is part of your regular routine that helps you... uh, cook in a healthy way or make better choices. We'd love to hear those. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring So one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also go over to uh, Facebook to Healthy Habits with Josie and drop me a message there. All right. So I had a uh, post this morning that said uh, that they're going to go grocery shopping today and they need all the help. So let's try and let's try and do at least some of the help. So my number one tip for healthy shopping is to shop with a plan. Okay. If you do not shop with a plan, you are either going to um, not buy all the ingredients that you need to make whatever it is you had in your head you thought you were going to make, uh, which then leads to grab and take out or going through the drive through, you know, something like that. Um, or it means you buy all the things that look healthy at the store, right? Lots of different fruits, lots of different veggies, all this kind of stuff. And you don't know what you're going to do with them and you bring them home and they die a slow death in your crisper drawer, right? And then we throw them out and we get frustrated because we wasted money. And then we kind of perpetuate this notion that healthy eating has to be expensive. So the number one tip is to have a plan. And so I don't usually have large blocks of time, uh, free time available to me. And so I break my routine up a little bit. On Saturday mornings, when I'm having my extra cup of coffee, I get an extra cup on Saturday mornings for surviving the week, uh, I do my meal planning for the week. And so um, for breakfast, we usually, or I usually plan for two varieties of breakfast for the week. And it's usually something that I can do in a big batch so that I'm not fixing breakfast every day because that's very unlikely to occur um, at my house. Uh, So um, it may be, uh, I've got lots of fresh blueberries right now, so it might be blueberry muffins um, and then overnight oats uh, as as our two, or it may be something like um, just toast with peanut butter and fruit, right? But Uh, I plan out those two breakfasts and then I actually skip planning, skip the lunch and go to dinner and I plan out my dinners for the week. And I usually plan in one takeout um, meal per week um, and go ahead and plan for that. That way it's not like a panic, let me order pizza kind of situation. There's a plan for that takeout. And then I go to lunches and work on lunches and incorporate some of the leftovers that we may have from dinner times and how we can uh, incorporate those into lunches. And it's usually something like salads or wraps or bowl, you know, a a Buddha bowl or something like that um, that we do in there. And then once all the that meal planning is done, it usually takes me about 30 minutes or so 
then I spend the next 30 minutes just kind of puttering around the kitchen and looking at what ingredients I have and make a list of what I need to pick up uh, and then make that grocery list and take that to the store. And uh, if it's not, if whatever I'm getting, if there is another aisle and I don't need anything on that aisle, I don't go down that aisle because if I go down that aisle, like let's say the cookie aisle, right? Especially if I'm hungry and I go down the cookie aisle, those cookie packages are going to talk to me and want to get in my buggy and come home with me. And if they do that, they are going to wind up in my belly. Um, it is not a, a notion of willpower. It's just that they, they taste good. Right. And if you bring them home, you're much more likely to eat them. So those are kind of my, my top tips for healthy shopping. And we'll get to the second one in just a second. But we do have a caller on the line. So I want to go to Gloucester and talk with Vivian. Hello, Vivian. How can I help Hello. you today? Hello, Dr. Goodwill. I'm a Christian Bible reader. And in the Bible, it, talks, it has a chapter on clean and unclean food. And one of the unclean foods is pig and swine and uh, fish with no scales and fins. And I wanted mm -hmm. to know exactly what that means, especially around the 4th of July. Uh, we eat a lot of pork ribs and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, can you explain uh, in today's term what that means? Well, now that one might be a little bit outside of, of what, I can answer because that's going to go into some, some biblical foundations of what unclean and clean has to do in some Old Testament terms that I don't truly don't know the full answers to there. I can speak to the, the health of different meat products and that pork does fall in the red meat category, even though there was that whole marketing campaign that came out and it was like pork, the other white meat. Uh, but it's not. It's it's in a in the richer, fattier categories of meat. And so it is one that we should definitely limit. And so I kind of recommend red meats or those fattier cuts of meat, if we're going to eat meat at all, become part of um, like a once a week type situation there. And then just depend on what we combine it with, right? So if we're going to have ribs at a cookout, then we need to make sure that our side items that we have are very veggie heavy and not animal heavy. So all the veggies that we have, we want to leave the bacon and the ham and those kinds of things out of there. Um, the other kind of gradient that we have in terms of meat is um, processed versus unprocessed meats. And your processed meats are going to be um, much more detrimental to health. So that's your bacons and anything that's kind of salted and cured, um, your deli meats, those kind of hot dogs. Those are all more processed. And those actually, not only are they bad for heart health, but they also increase the risk for uh, colon cancer. And so again, those are things that we're going to want to limit out there. So that was kind of a roundabout way to not really answer your question, um, but hopefully give you a little bit of information about pork and, uh, and those types of meats there. So thank you so much for giving us a call. And if you have a question or a comment for us, our number is one mpb ring all right, Kevin, I think you had a question that um, about sodium because um, you made some yummy looking veggie soup last night. I saw the picture on Facebook. Yes, I found an easy recipe for uh, for vegetable soup. It's got um, it's got sweet potatoes. It's got onions. It's got some garlic in there, some uh, corn, some 
peas, some green beans, um, but anyway, and uh, um, some uh, diced tomatoes. So I was picking them up at the grocery store. I grabbed some, and then I noticed that there was the low-sodium tomatoes. And I thought, well, this is a soup, so I don't think taste is that big of a thing. Uh, so I bought and got the low-sodium. So my question is, how much of a benefit is looking for and choosing the low-sodium options? So that's a great question because your canned items usually are going to have more sodium in them or more salt added to them. And while kind of one serving of that particular item might not be that high in sodium, if we if lots of the items that we're adding are full of sodium, then we can quickly outpace our salt kind of goal or our needs that we have for a day. So sodium um, for folks who don't have uh, heart problems or high blood pressure or diabetes, things like that, it's usually about 2,300 milligrams of sodium a day, which is a teaspoon uh, for folks who uh, have heart issues and high blood pressure and, and um diabetes and kidney issues and that kind of stuff. It's usually 1,500 milligrams per day, which is somewhere around two-thirds of a teaspoon, which is not a lot of salt. And so we've got to be very careful with what we start with uh, when we're making things. The vast majority of the salt that we consume in our diet is not from the salt shaker, but from packaged items. And a lot of that can be in canned items. So if you can afford the low sodium variety, it's always going to be um, a better choice to, to grab one of those, either the no salt added or the low sodium version of that. Um, but dang it, if they don't make those more expensive uh, sometimes. And so we've got to you know, plan out our, our meal and see where we can, if we're shopping on a budget, where we can make adjustments there. And so if it's something that can be drained and rinsed, right, then um, if you can't afford the low sodium option, get the get whatever you can and drain and rinse it. Now, diced tomatoes, if you drained and rinsed those, you would rinse a lot of the tomato juiciness away, which is where else some of the flavor is going to be there. So I think you made the right choice in picking the low sodium variety there. Um, now, let's say we do a bean, right? A bean, we can absolutely drain and rinse it. Um, and you should drain and rinse those beans because that helps cut down on um, gas as well, which is what a lot of people tell me keeps them from eating more beans. Um, if you're starting with a canned soup, like uh, my mom makes a great veggie soup, but uh, it starts with a, uh, it has a can of tomato soup in it to kind of thicken it up and body it up. You can't drain and rinse soup. If you drain and rinse soup, you just poured your whole can down the sink. Um, so opting for the low sodium variety of the soup or the no salt added variety is going to be key there to help stay under um, under your salt uh, target that you're wanting there. And then most soups usually have a stock in them as well. Um, so choosing the low sodium stock is another really good way to um, control that. And then you can adjust the seasoning of your, your soup yourself, right? And that way you have some control over how much saltiness you have. All right, let's go down to Biloxi and talk with Craig. Good morning, Craig. What can we do for you? Well, good morning. Uh, I have uh, some comments and questions. I'm going to start with, the, uh, I buy these tapered mason jars, and you can freeze liquid in them. 
So what I do with my vegetables is as soon as I get my vegetables, I throw every, I throw it in the freeze jar and put it in the freezer, and I can see mm-hmm. right through and see what's in there. Uh, and, and I do the same with meat sometimes. Uh, and I have a question about your air cooker. Can you make cookies in them? Or cookies? Baking? Huh. Kevin is shaking his head yes, which usually means he must have tried it. I have not tried that, um, nor seen a recipe, but now I'm intrigued and I want to. Um, Kevin, have you have you baked something in there? Um, I have not because, uh, again, the size of my basket, but I've seen, uh, in fact, the little book that came with my, the one I had uh, had some of those, and I've seen a number of um, of cookie recipes and cakes and things, so I, mm-hmm. I, I think it's Ken, and I think also you can buy a little piece of uh, cookware that goes in there, uh, maybe like a ramekin or something. But uh, I've not tried it, but I, I, I do think that, that you can. That's very interesting. You know, my, the only thing that I would think about is, you know, the air fryer, the bottom of it is perforated, right? Like there's little holes in it to allow the air to circulate around there. So if your batter was a very loose batter, then it would kind of seep through um, that unless maybe you have this attachment that you're talking about um, there. Now you can bake in your crock pot. Um, so I have made uh, like a like a coffee cake type thing uh, in the crock pot and that works out well. You know, cu- cuts down on having to cut the oven on and that kind of thing. Um, but now I want to make a, now i got to come up with a recipe to bake something in the air fryer. <laughs> yeah, I have well, one more question that, that hasn't sure. been mentioned uh, is an induction cooker now i borrowed a little hot plate and tried to fry some eggs on it and it went from mm-hmm. really cold to really hot and i and I, I did not have the proper frying pan i was wondering if anyone has any experience with the induction cookers yeah so you you mentioned what i was going to mention there and that is having the right pan so most of those induction um, cooktops have a special pan type that allows the heat to to be dispersed appropriately in there. So I have used an induction cooktop um, in one of our cooking uh, classes that we used to do, but it had the induction um, pan with it. Um, I find that just kind of electric cooking in general, uh, I have a harder time getting things cooked evenly um, that way because of things like hot spots and not being able to get the temperature right where I love it. Um, but that's probably just because that's not what I'm as experienced with. I grew up with a gas stove and I have gas stove now. Um, my I visited someone a couple months ago and they had a an electric stove top in it and I, I, I burned a few things getting used to, to using that there. It took me a little bit of time. Um, but the only experience I've had with the induction is, is using the actual um, induction specific uh, frying pan for that. So those are great yeah, questions. Would... Okay. I, yeah, I wish I had my old uh, uh, iron skillet that I used to have. That would probably work Oh, your really cast well. iron? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I have my grandmother's cast iron skillet, and I caught my husband. He was going to wash it the other day, and he had some soap, and I leapt across the kitchen and knocked it out of his hand. I was like, don't you it, put soap on my it, cast Exactly. Iron. They take special care. You don't, you don't use soap on them. I rinse them out with water, and, and, uh, and I don't put oil on them either to, to, because uh, I had a friend use one that was set up for six months uh, or so when he got sick. Yeah, yeah. So I love my cast iron skillet. 
I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. We're talking all about healthy cooking habits and techniques today. If you have a question or a comment, you can go over to Facebook and drop that at Healthy Habits with Josie, or you can private message it to me either way. You can email us, fit at mpbonline.org, or you can give us a call, 1-877-MPB-RING. And we're going to go straight on over to the phones because we've got a caller on the line. We've got uh, Mikey in Mobile. What can I do for you today, Mikey? Hey, thank you. You've already done much. Much, so much for me as usual. Um, uh, I'm hoping that I can contribute something that um, will help other people too. Um, yeah. First of all, it's mobile. It's muggy, honey. I mean, we, you know, <laughs> we're talking, we're talking 70 when you know to sleep and 90, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, in the afternoons. And we're lucky. I mean, <laughs> who knew that? The, anyway, the southeast. I mean, the northeast would get what they got right now. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, uh, so you want to keep heat out of your house in summer. We should be experts on that by now, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm thinking that, that uh, I'm hoping that, that your suggestions on, um, I haven't looked into them, but I'm going to definitely on, uh, uh, what is it, the, what, is it, what are you calling it, the, the non-fry thing? The air fryer? Yeah, yeah. Does that contribute a lot to the to the heat inside the house? Is that something you can do on the should do on the porch instead? Or no, what? it's it's right on my counter um, next to my toaster, and it. I mean, it's got a fan on the back that blows, uh, you know, kind of vents it, but it yeah. does not uh, increase the temp in my house that I have noticed. It, it at least not anything appreciable um, that I've been able to tell. So it's a great way to to kind of keep the house cool. Well, along those same lines. Uh, the gentleman that just called in, I'd like to suggest um, that if you have a microwave, which most everybody does now, if you have electricity, um, uh, you can coffee cup poach eggs. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you're very familiar with that. And that really saves a lot, on not just on the amount of energy that you use, but on the amount of energy that you have to use to cool down what you've already done to heat it up, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, absolutely. And and the uh, but the big thing is um, we're coming up on this holiday, and and as you always, you always have the most amazing things to say about um, balancing the things, mm-hmm. and mitigating the things in your diet. 
um, and and your economy. Um, the liquids from canned fruits, frozen fruits, jellies, jams, um, beans, um, all of those things. Uh, look at those and, and look at what you've got as far as vinegars. I happen to have been making vinegars, um, herbal vinegars, for quite some time because I've been growing herbs for quite some time um, mm-hmm. uh, with herbs. Uh, and so that's the, the vinegars, the herbs, the acids, and the oils, you know. Uh, yeah, like you were talking about, you know. It's like look at the look at the uh, variety that you have. Use what you have and um, enjoy it as much as you can. But mm-hmm. use it wisely. Yeah. Be careful where you spend it, you know. Um, to get right. the biggest yeah. bang for your for your taste bud, um, you know, right. as well as your calorie. Uh, right, the fat, goal. the oil, and the salt. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you know, unfortunately, and you bring up. I'm glad you actually brought up vinegars and herbs, um, because our food is so highly processed these days that we tend to only taste things that are very, very salty and very, very sweet. And so when something doesn't taste as salty as, as we are used to it tasting, because maybe we've cut back on the amount of salt or we've you know switched to a low sodium variety of something, then people go, oh, this didn't taste good. But we've got may, may I, so, may I make yeah. One go more ahead. comment, because mm-hmm. it's exactly in line with what you're saying. Um, it's an example, you know, that I saw in an advertisement um, a few days ago that said, oh, there's 36 ingredients in this, you know, for, you know, it's a, a commercial establishment, and they got to advertise and say that, you know, hey, this is the best thing you ever had. Well, I mean, look at how, on the other, on the other hand, I'm not trying to be, you know, I mean, if it wasn't for advertisement, we wouldn't know anything, right? But, it, you know, look at a bottle of ketchup. Or look at a bottle of soup, or look at a bottle of look at the bottle or can or pack, plastic package of whatever it is, and read it. You know, and there's probably going to be at least twelve ingredients in most of them. So yeah, thirty-six ingredients. Come on, is that that big a brag? You take two of those and you mix them together, right? Yeah, well, you just got to make sure those ingredients make sense. You know, whenever I'm looking at something and there's multiple sweeteners in it, and, you know, you got to get a little bit creative in knowing what, you know, some of these sweeteners are. But when there's brown rice syrup and high fructose corn syrup and molasses and sugar, and I'm like, why do we need four sweeteners in this particular, you know, item? So do the ingredients make sense? But to kind of close out. Yeah, absolutely. Balance it. Thank you so much, Dr. Jesse, again. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you for giving us a call. And, you know, just to kind of close up what we were talking about there, you've got those other taste buds that are longing for some stimulation, you know, some sweet, um, some salty, some sour, um, some heat, those kinds of things. And so often when you think something tastes bland, consider adding some herbs to it or a little bit of acid like a vinegar or a citrus juice like a lemon or a lime and see if that doesn't brighten up that flavor a little bit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. 
For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, and I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, and we've been answering your questions and listening to your comments about healthy cooking and eating today. And we've got a caller on the line that has been patiently waiting, so I want to go over to Purvis and talk with Marie. Hello. What can I do for you today? Hello, doctor. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. My question is, is it true that uh, if we cook with olive oil, uh, it becomes toxic, the oil becomes toxic at a certain temperature that is best to use it only for cold dishes? So that's a great question. And when we kind of alluded to it at the beginning, but I didn't kind of parcel it out to exactly olive oil, but olive oil when taken above a, you know, a, cert, a super high temp, and especially if kept that way for an extended period of time or reused, will oxidize itself and make some kind of um, oxidized fatty acids that are not great for us. Um, so I do tend to like to use the oil, if I'm going to use an oil at all, as more of a, a finishing item, like a drizzle over the top or in a salad dressing or a salsa or a relish or something like that, and avoid those super high um, temps, especially if it is a protein that we're cooking, right? So if it's a meat um, or a seafood that we're cooking, um, cooking that protein at a super high temp like that also causes some uh, kind of not so great compounds to form called advanced glycosylated end products, which are um, not good for our health. Well, thank you so much, doctor. Um, uh, so which oil is best to use for frying? Well, we uh, deep fat frying, we want to avoid as much as possible a little shallow fry or a little saute. Then your olive oil or your avocado oils would probably be your better options for that. But we just don't want to blaze it super hot and cook it for super long periods of time. Thank you so much, Doctor. You're welcome. Thank you for giving us a call today. And I, um, I hopped over to, to my friend Google to look at baking in an air fryer because I'm just grossly um, interested in doing this now. And I found a couple of tips for that. That was if you're going to do cookies, which they're saying you can do, then um, either kind of spray the bottom of your um, machine so they don't stick or use a piece of parchment paper um, in there to uh, help that and realize that you're probably going to have to 
really cut back on the cooking time because the air fryer is going to work a little bit more like a convection oven does where, you know, um, a convection oven, the heat kind of, and the air moves all the way around, um, the food. So it takes less time to, to cook that way. Um, most uh, ovens in homes are, are not convection ovens, although mine has a, like a dual option on it and the timing is different based off what, op- which one you're using there. Um, and I did actually, there's a recipe here for a cake and they just kind of put the cake pan down in, um, in the, uh, air fryer as well. So it looks like you can do it. Um, some other tips that I'm seeing on here is if it's like a, a dough item like a cinnamon roll or something like that, that you're probably going to have to make it smaller. So like the, like a big old huge Cinnabon cinnamon roll type in there, it's probably not going to cook all the way through before the outside got too crispy. So it'd be like real gummy in the middle and uh, kind of almost, you know, kind of charred or hard on the outside. So a smaller, uh, making them smaller and not crowding the area is the way to go. So I um, hands down make the best, vegan chocolate chip cookies in the world um, because my children told me so. And so now, now I want to see if, um, if they will work in the air fryer because, you know, sometimes 12 minutes is just too long to wait for a cookie and perhaps I can do it in five. So we will see there. Right, we had a question come in on Facebook that said that their biggest struggle were things that were healthy and quick with not a lot of prep because they were, uh, they were busy. Right. And kind of run in between different things. Uh, and I actually know this person that posted. I know they got a couple of little kids. And so I, I know what it's like trying to get healthy food on the table um, in a quick amount of time. So a couple of tips I have there is batch cook what you can. Right. So um, usually uh, some type of whole grain and some type of legume are two things that I batch cook on the weekends. So I'll make a big thing of brown rice or a big thing of um, barley or farro or something like that, some kind of grain that, that we enjoy, quinoa, something like that. Uh, and that way I can just grab the container, scoop out some uh, and dump it in a bowl and, and we're ready to go. Um, and you can get a very quick you know, taco bowl on the table really, really quickly by doing that, by adding a scoop of grain, a scoop of beans, and then just cut some kind of prepared um, or already diced up uh, veggies drizzled with some salsa, right? So planning again, goes into getting things done quickly. Um, utilizing frozen products is another good option. Uh, you know, a brown rice can take anywhere from 45 to 60 minutes to cook on the stovetop. And I do not have the patience for that. Um, I would probably forget that it was cooking and then we would have burnt rice because <laughs> I just my attention span in, t- in the kitchen is not going to be that long. Um, but a microwave pack of uh, brown rice is still a great option. So you can get them in the freezer section and store them in the freezer um, or you can get the small pouches uh, on the just on the uh, regular pantry aisle as well. And I usually keep both because the ones on the pantry aisle are usually smaller servings. Um, And so if I'm working from home that day uh, and I I can just pop one of those open and and use that. But if I'm making something for the whole family, the frozen bags are usually multiple servings of of rice in there uh, that is going to save me a little bit of time that way. Um, and the other thing is just pre-chopping things when you bring them home from the grocery store. So whatever your fresh veggies and um, fruits are, go ahead and dice those up and put them in clear containers 
at eye level in your refrigerator, right? If you put them in the bottom drawer of the refrigerator, that's where they will die because you're not going to see it. It's not a cue to eat it. So clear containers right at eye level so you see them when you open the refrigerator and it's an easy choice. Um, Also, keeping some of those raw cut-up veggies that you can eat in those containers and just taking them out of the fridge and setting them on the counter while um, dinner is going on and encourage kids just to grab some from there, dip them in some hummus or some ranch or something like that and get more veggies in there in their bellies um, is a, a good way to get that done there. And the berry, I think we've got time for just one little question about berries. Um, Cause someone has heard that I talk about berries and that we should be eating dark berries every day, but they go bad so quickly. Um, well, my tip for that is when you bring your berries home, go ahead and take them out of that package that they're in okay, and find any of them that may be Uh, starting to mold a little bit or kind of gooey or bruised or anything like that, there's usually at least one or two in there, um, even if they looked fine, you know, in the package at the store. And go ahead and get rid of those, okay, because those are going to kind of increase the spoilage of the rest of the bunch, okay. And while I usually say go ahead and wash and prep things, do not wash your berries, okay, before you use them. That will make them mold much quicker as well. Um, So I usually take that same container that they came in and I'll put a paper towel in the bottom and then put them back in there and again store them at at eye level. Now if it's been you know three or four days and I haven't gotten through the container in there then I usually go ahead and move those to the freezer. So I'll take a sheet tray put a piece of parchment paper on it and lay those berries out individually on there so they're not touching all up in a big clump and put those in the freezer and freeze them pretty hard for a couple of hours and then you can take them off of that sheet tray and put them in a Ziploc bag put them back in the freezer. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform.